His name is Heston Blumenthal. He's pioneered the world of cooking for over 25 years and invented countless dishes that have pushed forward the boundaries of gastronomy. My name's Jay Taylor. I couldn't pioneer anything gastronomic if I tried, but I have been lucky enough to direct Heston's TV shows for 15 years and more importantly now host his podcast where we get to delve deep inside his giant foodie brain. And on today's show, grab your hoverboard, prepare to be excellent to each other and set your TARDIS to 88 miles an hour because we're heading to the future as Heston jumps into the remarkable inventions, ideas and creations that are hopefully going to be transforming the future of our food. So without further ado, hop inside our DeLorean and let's take a journey with our very own Doc Brown, Mr Heston Blumenthal. Hello sir, happy new year. Happy new year to you too. I'm going to get this done really quickly because I just listened to what you said to me and I had made a couple of notes. So happy new year, Jay, James, great to be back, team reunited, the A-team. But, so I don't get distracted, I don't distract myself. You said hoverboard, you said TARDIS. So my ADHD, that's already sent me off into all sorts of um, universes. So, and then, so I just came up with this uh, sentence, the future is now. The future of food is now. Think about it. Oh, that sounds a bit arrogant. It? <laughs> it's barely. The future of food. We're now in the future. Frankly, it's the only thing that can keep us going at the moment, isn't it? Just the food. That, that food and drink is about it. Maybe the question that's frustrated me the most over the years is, the, is, is, is actually the most interesting one of the lot, which is what is the future of food? Well, what is the future? Jay? I think the future, the over future? the next half an hour at least... We're going to talk. We're going to talk nonsense. <laughs> we're going to talk nonsense. <laughs> James is going to tell us off refer to refer to James <laughs> to say, James, okay, yeah, did I, did, is this word spelled correctly? Get the, he can correct us. And give us the steering committee in the in the direction we're going. I could predict that. Well, actually, this is a good point because this is one of the things that, to all, all you guys out there listening, one of the things that we absolutely love about this and one of the reasons we're, we're doing this, and I know it's one of Heston's big drivers, is because inside all of us are these little toddlers who are fascinated with the universe and happily stare at the moon and yeah. put everything they can get their hands on in their mouth. And as we get older and mortgages and life and work get in the way, we tend to forget about that little inner toddler. And by talking about these things and poking our fingers in everything we can, we're hopefully doing that. And by coming along for this ride with us, hopefully you're unleashing your inner toddler as well. So I think when we're talking about the future of food what we're sort of saying is what's interesting that we should go and have a look at what's the next thing that we're going to be fascinated with and potentially can go and stick our fingers in and lick brilliant i could not have said it better myself jay without getting arrested <laughs> which has been many times I, for licking <laughs> yeah. so i i i had that then future of food um and so people ask me this question um, with the assumption that I'm an expert. So if I'm an expert in my field, my opinion is, the, is that I have no idea. The more, the more I have uh, learnt about our relationship with food, and the more I've expanded my own kind of universe about human beings' relationship with food, the more I've realised we have no idea. Now, what I, we do know we have, as a species, become incredibly, impressively efficient at reducing our, the level of energy and work required to consume. So our consumption is becoming easier. 
But the fallout of the fact that our consumption is becoming easier is that we value less the work required to consume. So we expect more. We expect more instant gratification, which means we don't appreciate the things that we're consuming. But if we continue to make our work less, to make the consum energy consumption easier, I believe we will begin to lose the magic of what it is to be human. And that's working for reward leading to curiosity, discovery, imagination and memory. I will jump into a couple of these and it'll be interesting to get your take on them. As it's the future, and it certainly is picking up off the back of what you've just said, I think a really interesting thing, whenever you talk about the future, you have to talk about three things, which is flying cars, tinfoil suits, and of course, robots. And there's some interesting things about robots that are going on. I'll, I'll, I'll whiz through three of them, and I'll be curious to know your take on it. So basically, we may be facing labour shortages on farms. So there's a raspberry picking robot that can now do 20, 25,000 berries a day. Humans can only do 10,000. Now, what's clever about it is it, it, it learns to pick the right ones and do it gently. And I've been to enough pick-your-own farms, I'm rubbish at it, picking right ones and doing it gently without squashing them. So having a robot that can do that is, is very impressive. Um, meanwhile, in Switzerland, a company called Ecrobotics, they've started developing a weeding robot. Now, it's entirely powered by the sun. It can run for 12 hours. But the clever thing about this is by a weeding robot, it prevents the need for herbicides by up to 90%. So we're not putting nasty stuff on the ground to keep um, the, the weeds down. And even better than that, your crowd, Waitrose, they started a trial last year with Portsmouth-based company to use robots in wheat fields. They can plant the seeds, create plants, map the fields, but most importantly, they use lasers to kill weeds, which is frankly two of the best things about the future, robots and lasers put together. So what do you think about that whole realm of sort of robots? Because everyone always says, oh, the future. I just made 10 I just made 10 notes when you say that to me. So I don't know where to start. Firstly, <clears throat> we're involved. I'm involved in a robotics company called Caricuri. Are you really? I didn't know that. And yeah, I believe Einstein made it made a, one of Einstein's quotes. I mean, there might be Einstein made many quotes that he didn't actually say, but let's just say that this is an Einstein quote that he was credited for was that why should we learn stuff we can look up? So Think about a mobile phone. We've created these incredible gadgets that are nowhere near the power and the complexity of human beings because we keep on creating them. So we create spaceships and satellite systems. We've done that, we'll keep on developing, which means the things we create are nowhere near as complex as the human beings that we are. So we should celebrate that. The danger is we create these things to be able to free us up. One of the things, make our lives easier. Work, work for, for we, we have less work for more reward. Like press a button. I don't have to climb a mountain to get water anymore. No, I just turn the tap on. Great. So as we do that, you think that these incredible machines we create free us up to be human. My motivation for getting involved with this robotics company, me in the kitchen, I measured the living daylights out of anything I could measure with a, with, a, with a kitchen team. Because if I found out a lemon tart with that specific recipe 
that you measure maybe the sugar density of the custard before you put it in the tart and then you know that that wobble if you do it intuitively enough times and measure it and you find there's a there's a there's a consistency to the temperature measurement of your intuitive wobble of the lemon tart for example when it's done then you can then put that into a recipe and you can turn a human being into a robot now it wasn't my intention to turn a human being into a robot but it was my intention to get consistency because that's what people expect when they come into the restaurant so we've created all these incredible things which I think, uh, which are being used more just to continue to make our lives easier, to create more things to make our lives easier. I think the beauty of robots is the potential for them to free up human beings being able to do the things that only human beings can do. So when you talked about the raspberry picking machine that can measure the ripeness of the raspberry, um, for example, they can do that better than human beings because they're finite levels of measurement. Unless a human, one human being spends 20, 30, 40,000 hours measuring it, yes. But let's celebrate our emotion, uh, let's celebrate our imagination and our memory because they're completely connected and they're two of the most unique things we have. So can make, let robots do the stuff for us so we could become human beings again. We can do this stuff, we can come up with, you just talk tinfoil suits. Well, you, a robot never came up with the idea of a tinfoil suit. A robot never came up with the idea of flying to, flying to the moon or Mars. A robot never came up with the idea of growing a raspberry. Maybe they can develop those bloody flying cars I've been promised since I was a kid. I'm getting, I've been waiting for those Ever, for ages. Exactly. So what are your robots? So your, your, your robots you're I know, you know, working with and working on, is that with that in mind, the idea that if you can take jobs in the kitchen which are by their nature yeah. uh, not any more, not creative to the point that because you've got the process so highly honed down, then those people would be then allowed to do something else that can grow and be bigger. Exactly. So they can then get on with being human, get on with all the beautiful things you can do as a human being. And I think in the world we live today, um, it's that Picasso quote, everyone is born an artist. The challenge is to remain an artist as we grow older. And you said it, but the inner child. So we should embrace all these incredible machines that we've done to free us up to play like big kids. But instead what we do is we've become slaves to the things that we've created. And it's understandable because why would anyone really want to make their life more difficult? It's only if they have a belief of trying a new thing and then difficulty comes along and they think, well, okay, I've got to, I've got to work through that. But we've never, no one would ever choose to make their life more difficult. Well, most people wouldn't. Following that conversation, I don't think you're going to like this one. Um, we have technology which tells us when to walk and sleep and do all these things now. We're about to be told when to drink. So an Israeli company called Water.io has created a smart cap to go on water bottles. It's synced to an app in which you put all your data and stuff like that. And then it figures out how much water you should be drinking, sets your targets and monitors the cap of the bottle. And if you're not drinking enough, it'll flash at you and even send you um, notifications to your phone, which sounds, I could imagine a wine one would be quite good, but uh, the water one just sounds, I can't imagine anything worse than getting text. Must drink some water now. We, I think we are living in an increasingly judgmental world. So all general nutritional, wellness, holistic medicine type um, approaches tell you what your body, what they think they, what your body needs. So a computer tells you what you need. So it's like me saying to you, Jay, 
I'm going to make you the best version of yourself. Well, I don't know what the best version of you. The only person that knows the best version of you is you. And barely that. that might be. (laughs) (laughs) This is going into exactly the heart of all the stuff we're looking at now. So if you drink a bottle of water, say you think, I need to drink a litre of water a day. If I don't drink this, I'm going to get ill. Then your motivation for drinking that water is one of fear. So everyone knows of the placebo effect. Take vitamin C, for example. There's as many reports and surveys, academic research papers that have been done to say vitamin C makes a big difference as there is saying vitamin C makes no difference. However, if you take vitamin C and you believe it's going to make a difference and you really flip it, enjoy it, that's called the placebo effect. If you take vitamin C and think, my God, if I don't take this vitamin C, I'm going to get ill. That's called the nocebo. So, dear listeners, um, have a look at the, the, the nocebo effect. It's fascinating. It's, it's almost more powerful than the placebo. So if you believe something to be bad, you attract the potential of that, of that negative thing happening. So when a water bottle goes, <coughs> or like your, my car, my bloody car. It just bleeps at everything. It bleeps at my seatbelt. It bleeps at the I've left the indicator on it. Bleeps the door's not shut you properly. You get so angry it bleeps with it. It's reversing. It bleeps when it's forward. It bleeps when it's left. It bleeps when it's right. It bleeps when the windscreen wiper doesn't work. And it bleeps when I need water. So end up being so distracted with bleeps. That can't be good for your kind of relationship with yourself. Everyone is telling you that you are going to die if you don't do this. So a water bottle that, that just tells you that you are a useless piece of wasteless energy that doesn't understand their own body. Now, maybe it might be what if you could do the same thing with, with laughter, with fun. You know, how many times, Jay and James, have you found um, a question for both of you? How many times have you found a moment where you're, you're hungry but not? You're hungry for something. So you open the fridge, you open the cupboards, you open the drawers, you think about what you could order, you, but you're not, you just, you know, you're not really hungry, but you're hungry for something. Yes, I know exactly that feeling. I know completely what you mean. You end up eating loads of lots of little different things going, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. You, yeah, you, you're trying to find the thing that's going to tick the box. And in the process, you end up just eating more. Yeah, loads. So if you found a water bottle that said, ha. Ah, you thought about this and up comes a little screen and tells you exactly what it, and it's what your gut needed but at the same time it's exactly what you wanted and it's not somebody telling you that if you don't need this you're going to die that would be magic now i'm just going to pause here briefly because as we're talking about the future i'm sure there's pretty much one thing in all of our futures we'd love to be able to think about doing which is traveling frankly at the moment travel anywhere but specifically abroad at some point in the next few years it would be wonderful to spread our wings and again start exploring but wouldn't it be even better if when you get there you could speak the lingo well luckily one of our sponsors is here to help they're called 
babble. And they say, have you always wanted to visit a different country but didn't want to feel like an outsider because you didn't know the language? Well, Babbel are here to help you learn that language. Have you always been in love with French, Spanish, German, Italian culture but didn't have time to attend the language courses? Well, that's what they're here for. Basically, Babbel is a clear and simple interface which guides you through a learning journey in a funny and smooth way. It's designed to get you quickly speaking a new language within weeks with 10 daily 10 to 15 minute lessons. Babbel teaches real life conversations which you learn through interactive dialogues. Speech recognition technology then helps you improve your pronunciation and accent, which is really useful. Lessons are lovingly created by over 100 language experts. That's real people, uh, not the robots that we've been talking about. And it's not a translation machine either, which would be kind of futuristic. But we're not talking about the future. We're talking about the here and now. With Babbel, you can choose from 14 different languages, including Spanish, French, Italian and German. And the teaching method has been proven to be effective across multiple studies. And I've had a go myself and it is really good and really easy to do. It's the kind of thing you can do in between home working. Um, Babbel is available as an app or online and your progress will be synced across all your devices. So go and have a go at it. Your boss won't know you're doing it because you're at home. Try Babbel today. Just go to babbel.co.uk. That's Babbel, B-A-B-B-E-L.co.uk or download the app to try it for free. Babbel, learn a new language and make it your own and it'll be useful in the future which is where we're travelling back to now with the next of the future developments, Heston. There's a new study done that shows our preference for coffee and tea is, is programmed into us from birth in our, in our genes, basically. The researchers said the reason we prefer either coffee or tea might be down to our, just, our genes and more specifically how we perceive bitterness. So a Dr Marilyn Cornelius from Northwest University in Illinois performed a huge study on people from different genetic backgrounds which and to see um, how that influenced which drinks they preferred. Mm-hmm. And they found that people with a higher perception of bitterness had l- also had a lower chance of being heavy drinkers. Now, it's not quite as specific on the tea front, but they tend they, they found out... That so if- did you just say that higher... A uh, higher sensitivity for bitterness meant less propon- propensity for drinking alcohol. Yeah, which I've... Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense, because think of beer. It's bitter. Wine, bitter. All alcohol is bitter. Oh, it's, of course, it right. So the more receptive stuff. you are, the less you're going to like it. Yeah, you might actually... It might, it might be the bitterness that's repelling you as much as the alcohol is. So that, to me, makes sense. And the tea... They said the, t- the way... That the, the, they didn't get such demonstrative result for tea, but they figured out that basically... If you liked the coffee, you're not going to like the tea and vice versa. If you didn't like the coffee, that sort of led to the tea liking. So they figured out that certain sects of people preferred tea because they kind of didn't like coffee. But there's that idea that all the things that we've spoken about over the years in terms of learned association and these things, but the fact that some of your new thinking along these lines, that these things are woven into us on a genetic level. Some of them, some of them are, but the complication comes because one thing can always override another. So if you think about that staying above the fireplace in the hind's head, which actually, by the way, I heard for the first time. I watched. I, I didn't watch TV for years, and I was, through all my exercise on exercise machines, I've been watching through my Kindle. I watched Sopranos. Last week, I heard them say, "Fear knocked on the door, faith answered, and no one was there." That's exactly the sentence on the. That's the phrase in Gold Leaf on the fireplace in the hind's head. I thought, my God, I've never heard anyone say that. Fear knocked on the door, faith answered. So only when the belief becomes stronger than the fear, only when the hot becomes hotter than the cold, or the cold becomes hotter than the hot, or the fast becomes faster than the slow, does that determine the direction that you go in? So there are 
things that are hardwired into our DNA. So let's say, for example, I would say, if you think about taste, uh, bitterness um, from an evolutionary point of view, things that are poisonous are very bitter. So when we were climbing trees and foraging, that bitter taste would be, you get a stronger sensation of it. I'm not saying there's more receptors, but a stronger sensation at the back of your tongue because it's the last thing, it's the last protective mechanism that says, don't swallow this, this could be really bad for you. But then we can override that as we grow up. So our evolution, if we grow up with a family that are coffee makers, we can override. I remember that. Personally, I I hated coffee and never understood it, but then working in the media, it becomes a ritual that you like being around and you sort of end up, you have like the gateway drugs like mockers and things and you end up learning to like it probably and then your yeah. body remembers it it's 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 amazing it, exactly so there's never one reason so there are hardwired things and there are things so there's a difference between genetics which is sort of dna and then epigenetics um when you apply energy think about a light switch and a light bulb the dna is the connection between the light switch and the light bulb but you press the switch and the light comes on and if something in that circuit's not working, you press the switch and the light won't come on. I get that. You may have a, a preference that will lead you down that road, but if you never see that road, then you you know if you you might be you know predicated in your genes to like coffee and bitterness and things, but you might be a perpetual tea drinker just because that's the drink you've been exposed to. Uh, exactly. And there's a thing called PPT, which is a white powder that was is tested for. Have you heard of the term super tasters? Yes. Now, people get this completely misunderstood. A super taster is not somebody that can pick out one leaf of celery in a, in a, in a bouillon or a consomme. It's not somebody that can pick out a, you know, a, a sort of wet bra strap in a cup of, a cup of tea or somebody that can pick out a, you know, a particular earthy molecule in something else. No, no. A super taster is somebody that has much more sensitivity to the tastes. So bitter, for example. So this... It's PT, not PPT, PTT. They put this little, the, the white powder, you put like a, like a little, um, what do you call it, a stick, a little bit of paper, and you put it on your tongue. And then they look at pe- your people's response to that powder on their tongue. And the more people go, Ugh! the more, the higher up the, re- the level of the super tasters they are. So if an extreme super taster it's not like no super taster or super taster. It's, it's a moving feast, like a graphic equalizer. If somebody that is so hypersensitive to bitter, to salt, to sweet makes a dish, the chances are most people that are not on that scale will find it really bland. How do you get... Because you like bitter, don't you? You, are, you like bitterness in your drinks. I like... Yes, and I'm a super... I'm, I'm, I'm on the super, super taster spectrum. I know because I've been tested before. Is this why you... Whenever I've been to your tastings, you always get everyone in the room to try it. You know, from right across the spectrum. It's not your... It's not... One of the things I always loved about hanging out in the lab is it was... There'd be 10 people in there from the guy who's on work experience up to you and your head chefs and people. And you got everyone to taste it. And everyone's opinion was valid. Because I'm presuming you're thinking, well, I, my, my taste isn't definitive. It's about everybody. But how do you get around that idea that a lot of it comes down to your own personal preference or... Oh, that's, a, that's a, so it's such a complicated thing. And, 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 and really at the heart of all of this, because it depends on what you're looking at. So if I, you taste something and I say, I say, Jay, how bitter is this? Or I say, Jay, can you taste um, the smell of cut grass? 
Or does this flavour seem warm to you? I'm I'm giving you nudges to focus your attention in different to different perspectives. And and this is the complexity of flavour perception. It's the most complex thing the human body does. So it depends on where your perspective is. So if I say to you right now, think about the feeling of the air on your left cheek. Just think about that. I've just changed your perspective. You just move your focus. This is interesting. Now you're saying this, I realise whenever we taste anything together, you will always ask me what I think first and you won't tell me what you're thinking. And it's almost like you're collect... Because I say stupid things because I don't have the right sort of frame of reference. Or, it, 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 But then you... I, I notice you sort of accumulating those thoughts and then you then afterwards you say, oh, that's interesting. I'm getting a bit of this. And just like that cheek thing, I suddenly go, oh, of course, that's what it was. Sometimes it's about pointing yeah. out what's there and sometimes it's about it understanding how that influence comes. Well, there's so much stuff to, when we taste food, there's so many things to look at. And then you've got your likes or dislikes and then you've got your hardwired subconscious, you know, uh, relationship with food everyone has a relationship with food so why is it that one moment in any given time you think oh I don't want to eat that now but then another moment you think this is exactly what I want to eat have you ever put a dish out where you you were convinced that your instincts weren't right on it something that you didn't think was Yes. You have? Um, when I say dish out, I've tasted it. I've been in tastings before where I thought, for example, oh, this doesn't feel like it's got enough salt in it. However, I'm not trusting my own taste buds. Really? I didn't know, I didn't know the answer, but I have. Yeah, I've had that several times thinking, it feels like this needs more salt, but I'm not sure if it, I, I don't, I think this might be me. I didn't have an answer to it. But yeah, I've had that feeling many times before. I think that's a surprise to me. I think, you know, you imagine, I don't know, but I imagine a lot of top top chefs wouldn't think that way. They would think my taste is the right taste and I'm making it purely in my 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 way or the highway kind of thing. Or yeah. is it? Or do you think that, that people, when a pizza reach certain echelons, they do realise that it's... No, all- I, think, I think many chefs do that. And, and, and sitting here right now, hearing you just say that, I'm thinking how much more simple would life be? <laughs> it's my taste or the high taste or the highway. I just, you know, but then then that's. To, I think that at the same time that would make it would make life easier. But would it really? Nothing about your business has ever been about making life easier. There's not one single part. You might want to get robots in the kitchen, but ultimately I've watched you taste the same thing a thousand times in a million ways and then still go back to the drawing board. If it was about making it easy, then you'd have done it a very different way. You're not wired that. Yeah. Like. No, no. It's like there's nothing simple about simplicity. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I'll be interested to get your, note, your, your thoughts on this thing, because we've been talking about genes, but um, there's a gene editing tool called CRISPR-Cas9, which is uh, yeah. basically they're heralding this idea that basically they can start messing around with various different things and you know yeah. making peach-flavoured strawberries and seedless tomatoes and mm-hmm. mushrooms that don't brown and wheat that people with... A celiac disease can eat and they're they're even talking about changing the architecture of things like tomato plants so that they can fit more into into smaller spaces and it's really interesting this because it you it opens up all the questions about changing things 
for the good or for the bad because this idea that they can help reduce food waste they can increase our nutrients they can increase crops resistance to disease and and then they can improve shelf life but then they're talking about and they can even change how things taste so this is exactly the same as the mobile phone we created the mobile phone we didn't just create a mobile phone it evolved over you know obviously decades the telephone then morphed into a more efficient telephone and then a cordless telephone and now we've got the iPhone. So we, we, we were, we're driven to create these things, but then we become a slave to the things that we create. So this, you can ask the question, did we cultivate wheat or did wheat cultivate us to cultivate wheat? Did we invent mathematics or was mathematics there in nature for us to discover and observe it? So this is this cause and effect. So the same thing with 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 uh, uh, crisp. Um, it's a fascinating subject, and I think with all of these things, for me, you need to put this the trombone zoom effect. You need to look in and out. You need to look at both sides at the same time. So if we um, if we continue, let's say for example, we continue to make. Uh, our cars and our dishwashers and our ovens and fridges bleep at us and tell us what to do, then they also help us becoming less alert. So in the process, we're making these machines to make our lives easier, but in making our lives easier, they reduce our, our the awareness of our sensory connection with our universe. So then we become weaker while these objects become stronger. You see what I mean? Yeah, so if you're messing around with the tastes of uh, uh, and the very the, the essence of what fruits and vegetables we recognize are there's going to come yeah. a point where we'll lose trace we'll lose track of what they once were or what they've ever been well uh, yes and if you look at remember we filmed breast a uh, breast chicken the breast chickens in france they taste very strong they're the, just about the most expensive chicken you can buy now they taste of breast chickens but they don't taste of a chicken from a supermarket these chickens have been left outside to eat grass and eat worms and you know do lots of running around so they're tougher the skin is darker they taste more gamey for some people they might even taste a little bit you know dangerous to eat the chicken in the supermarket has been bred to give maximum return on money so maximum meat minimum carcass eat quick enough to to, to produce minimum money so we've done that for our ease to make our lives easier so then we've become slaves to those supermarket chickens so when we go back to what a chicken used to taste like we might be shocked well i was interested when i was reading up on this and james might be able to correct me if i'm wrong but it it is said that the idea of a red apple beautiful shiny sort of disney-like red apple has actually been something that's been bred over decades by cutting apples with various um, the genetics of a certain type of red mm-hmm. plant to make them red and apples aren't naturally red and that's one of those things where as a like carrots of course because carrots what color are they white or purple they were like 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 past to be sort of you know whitey creamy they were they certainly weren't red it was i think it was the first genetically modified vegetable i think yeah well i think i mean the history of genetically modified things goes back to our discovery of food products we were always cross-breeding and apples is is a great example because there are so many varieties of apple now which are created by people in in you know in a very natural way cross-pollinating species and seeing what the apple off a new tree tastes like and then deciding that's the flavor that they want and 
you know, it's driven by consumer needs oh, oh, and, and production requirements and all sorts of stuff. But that's been going on since Henry VIII's time. Couldn't it not be also driven by humans' ability to make connections between two things that you might not think? So we did the cock and trees. We sewed, and that, that was an old medieval recipe. We sewed the back half of a chicken onto the front half of a pig. Now, wait, I, I don't know another species that would think about putting those two things together. Yes. So is that not part of human imagination? So I'm gonna I'm gonna find some connection between a tree and an area. Look at what are they ah James, what do they call it? Um oh my god, we looked at this a couple of years ago. It's design, architectural design mirrored on nature. It's called Biomimicry is for that is thank the you. Term. Biomimicry. So you look at the TGV train. That was shaped on a on a on a woodpecker or kingfisher's beak. Is it really? Um, yeah, they they look at you. Look at a leaf. The the design of a leaf to collect water for a tree with the branches has its roots below the branches of the tree. So there, it needs to protect itself. So it wants to capture as much of the water and the energy from the sunlight and the water as possible. So the leaves on the tree is shaped to capture the like an umbrella. But with a drain, they capture and the water goes down to their roots. And they have a waxy coating, so it just slides off it. Nature's been around for... It's, that's why Mother Nature, planet Earth and Mother Nature, dwarfs any spaceship, travel to Mars or mobile phone. It's just nature has found a way to survive over hundreds of thousands and millions of years. So by looking at this and observing, you can, you can then come up, you can then see, start to learn more about our relationship with other living things. So this thing that you were, you were talking about, about you know, whether you breed apples or carrots or whatever it might be, human beings make connections, but you could also argue. So do plants and bees and birds. Think about pollination. Yeah. That's so, been splicing for a long time, isn't it? Between different, yeah, you know, nature's been doing yeah, it. We're just absolutely. accelerating, and it's interesting because when you—that's that trombone effect you talk, where you pull right out. Because we, you know, automatically assume this is in a lab. We're messing with nature. This is bad. But what you're saying is, when you pull out, you actually realise there's a huge amount of grey in the middle of it, isn't there? Yeah, there is, and there's so much to discover and learn, and have questions without answers. Now we are, unfortunately, because this has flown by. Uh, veering in our DeLorean to the end of our time that we have, even though we're talking about time being relative in the future here, there's one last one I wanted to mention, which is sort of related to the other ones as well. I thought this was just quite interesting. Obviously, as we know, food waste is a big deal across the world. I didn't realise, apparently in Britain, about 40% of food created is is wasted, which is remarkable. Uh, A guy called James Rogers in America, he was studying material science at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He was creating a type of paint that when it dried turned into a solar panel, which just sounds very cool in itself. But he uh, had a sort of realisation moment about food waste and realised maybe he could use some of his skills to do something about this. So he's created a substance which is actually not a million miles away from the solar paint he was making um, out of plant lupids and fatty acids, which you can spray onto food fruits uh, and vegetables specifically he's he's working on avocado so i think it needs to be done on ones with with skins uh and it basically is the second skin and it can it's completely organic and it can extend the life of a fruit by threefold now obviously we've been as a as as humanity preserving food since we've been making food from smoking to salting to all these various different things but this sounds 
an interesting new turn of the wheel that if we could preserve the life of foods for threefold every time, that might potentially cut down on some of the waste we've got. So it's it's interesting when these kind of creations are coming along these lines. They are, yeah. I think they're. I think they're fascinating. I think this is an incredible sort of um, you know show of humans being able to make again connect things that you wouldn't think could be could be uh, connected. But I think where where sort of my drive is is coming from is in addition to all of that, the biggest thing that we've forgotten about is our relationship with food. So if we can value more mouthfuls of food or more moments with our relationship with food, if we can give more gratitude, more awareness, more more value and how is our think about how different parts of our body are feeling. How's my gut feeling? How are my lips feeling? What can I smell? This nostril, this nostril. What can I see? What can I touch? What can I taste? Mm, how much is my, um, is this producing more saliva? All of these sorts of things. And we're not going to be able to do that all the time. But if we can do that more, and we've said this before, Jay, that we can feel fulfilled more than feeling full. We would, that is such it's potentially in principle such a simple thing you can't tell people to eat less because that's judgmental and there's moments i know i'm just shoveling food down my mouth i'm doing it for comfort or anesthetic or distraction or whatever but there are moments when i can really value every little sensory morsel of food and my relationship with food and awareness of my memory and my emotional connection with it and all of a sudden time expands and i'll find myself taking two mouthfuls of food you know if you had, if you had if you had your food for a week someone gave you a small but you would eat at a different pace when you didn't know where the food was coming from so it's how do we find a way to create more interactivity, imagination, discovery, humor, game playing, connectivity, awareness, curiosity, all leading to pleasure with our food and when we eat. If we could do that, that in principle is the most simple thing to make the biggest difference. In practice, we just need to be reminded all the flipping time because I forget. But if that's the future of food, though, that is really exciting and, and doesn't involve any of the things we're talking about. There's no there's no Star Trek tablets. There's no none of that. It's just appreciating no, what no. we've got. But can everyone else carry on doing that at the same time? Yeah, that's but cool. I, I want to put I want to put this bit into it. I want to put that discovery and that playfulness. It's like kids playing in a sandpit or you know discovering in the in 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 the woods or building a camp or if whatever kids do just try and put that you mentioned it at the beginning of this podcast we're all kids inside and we just what we do is we just build layers of protective measurements we we build all these protective layers over us as we grow up and we bury the kid inside but it's still in there if we can get that out my God, that makes such a difference. And that is exactly what we're hoping to be doing on this podcast journey. We do thank you ever so much for being a part of it with us and stick with it because we're going to be having lots of fun diving in many, many directions and Heston's going to keep working out on this theory and by being along with us, hopefully you're going to be part of the ride inside your own universes and food loves. So um, James, thank you ever so much for being along for the ride. Heston, that was a brilliant voyage into our potential future and present. Thank you ever so much. And Look forward to speaking to you again next week as we pioneer into this new year, which we all hope is going to be a hell of a lot better than the last one. The future is now.
Sorry, you just, I heard you talking and then I realised we just finished, so I just came out with that, that phrase. Yes, I'm looking forward to continue, well, I can't wait. I love, uh, thank you everyone for listening, um, but today's subject was, um, it's a big one for me, very big one. Exciting. Oh fuck, I'm rambling now. To say bye. Goodbye. <laughs> goodbye everyone, and thank you for listening and putting up with my rant. <laughs> <laughs>